Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recording. This is Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Never say never, but never. I plan on leading this team with an unwavering standard. Everybody love everybody. We will call it the golden standard. And this is the standard that will drive this football program to its 12th national championship. With Sean Styers. I like that guy. Hey, what you could do is, is you could have a barbecue on that head. It's a good time, you know what I mean? Yeah. On Sports Radio 960 AM, double. USBT. He's running down the middle by the 50. He's bare-chested and banging his chest. They're chasing him. They're not going to get him. And now your host, Sean Styers. How are we doing today? Hope you're having a good one. It is a bit wetter today than it was yesterday. Let off talking about how beautiful it was yesterday. And uh, baseball, softball fans, um, not a happy day for you. We hope to have South Bend Cubs baseball coming up at the pregame in about an hour. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to go. Be hearing from Brendan King, who's calling the game uh, in Fort Wayne. Hearing from him later that the South Bend Cubs are in Fort Wayne. So no matter what it's doing here in South Bend, that's kind of irrelevant right now. The rain has let up a bit here anyway, but the radar over there on the eastern side of the state, not looking quite as good. Well, we started yesterday's show with a little Ed Orgeron, as if that's possible. Little Ed Orgeron, <laughs> maybe that should be a cartoon. But uh, we're going to do the same today. If you missed yesterday's show and or you hadn't heard, former LSU head coach Ed Orgeron hanging out at Notre Dame this week. He was at yesterday's practice, spoke to the media for a few minutes yesterday, but uh, he also spoke to the Notre Dame team yesterday. A Notre Dame social media crew shared some of uh, what he said to the team. So here is a little bit of little Ed Orgeron and his pep talk to the Irish after practice yesterday at the Irish Athletic Center. What a tremendous, tremendous university you have here. What a great coach and what a great coaching staff you have. Some of the best players in the country are right here in this group. I don't know when it's going to happen. But with this staff, this team, you're going to win it all. You're going to pick up the truth. All right, when is it going to happen? I don't know. I can't tell you that. How bad do you want it? You don't have to wait for it. Why somebody else needs to be better than you? I'll tell you what. Physicality, use it. There's other team spirit, use it. Okay? Good luck to you guys. Hey, I know you got a lot of things to do. Coach, thanks for letting me talk to this team. I am fired up. I can't wait to see you guys play. I'm going to be pulling for you guys. But remember this. This is your team. This is your brother. You fight for it. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate it, man. There you go, Ed Orgeron. Use that physicality. He talked about that physicality with the media as well and talked about it there with the team and uh, seemed pretty impressed by it. And, uh, I mean, there's always been that on the – defensive side of the ball defensive line specifically didn't see it as much with the offensive side of the ball last year but um sure harry Heastan has something to say about that and ed orgeron was talking about kind of waking up his juices yesterday when uh, he heard the uh, offensive line coach harry Heastan kind of getting things barking but you know just just fascinating kind of this this whole thing because orgeron in his little chat with the media yesterday, about three minutes or so, tells the media he came here to Notre Dame because of the connection he made with Marcus Freeman when he interviewed Freeman to become his defensive coordinator at LSU. That obviously didn't happen. Freeman picks Brian Kelly and Notre Dame instead. Now, a little bit more than a year later, Orgeron's out of coaching, creating a vacancy at LSU. Kelly goes to LSU. Freeman gets promoted to Notre Dame's head coach. Less than a week after Brian Kelly's making all these comments about Notre Dame, all that stuff last week in the two different articles, excuses for why he couldn't do any more than he did here at Notre Dame. 
Here's Ed Orgeron at Notre Dame, <laughs> who, of course, he once coached against when he was the interim coach at USC and never really got the impression that, that he and Brian Kelly were very fast friends either. You know, and he's talking to the team. He's speaking glowingly about their new head coach and the coaching staff and telling them they're going to win a national championship. Don't know when that is, but they're going to do it, is uh, what Ed Orgeron says to him. Didn't have to do any of that Orgeron had no other real connection to Notre Dame other than you know that connection to Freeman interviewing him a little bit more than a year ago when he was still at LSU so coincidence that Kelly just made those comments last week little little shade throwing contest I don't know I'm just gonna get my popcorn and wait for the movie all this drama all this dishing has just been so fun so far gives us that much more to talk about but as for this year's team how about a little Al Golden Speaking of defensive coordinators, one of the two new Irish assistant coaches with Super Bowl experience, running back coach Delan McCullough, of course, being the other. But Golden comes to the Irish, spent the last two years coaching the linebackers for the Cincinnati Bengals, helped him get to the Super Bowl against the Rams just a little over two months ago. Went from being in the Super Bowl in Los Angeles that Sunday night to being introduced as Notre Dame's new defensive coordinator by Wednesday of that same Week. It all happened pretty quickly once things finally wrapped up for the Cincinnati Bengals after everyone was waiting and waiting. Who's going to be the defensive coordinator? That was the first position that needed to be filled and ended up being the last one, ultimately, I believe, that was filled. But here's what Golden says it's been like being around this fighting Irish defense. So much fun. Yeah, so much fun to be around. Uh, so one thing, um, you know, we're blessed as coaches to be around these guys. Um very empowered group, uh, you know, uh, from a, you know, just a self-starter standpoint, you know, you're not really tracking too many guys down to do this, do that. They want to do it. Um, they want to be the best, you know, uh, academically. They want to be great football. They want to learn. They want to know, you know, what's the difference uh, between, you know, a tackle and a missed tackle between, you know, not going to pass down an interception. Um, so they're just, they're yearning for, uh, information they're trying to learn and uh it's just been awesome it really has they're they are such a good group in terms of just bringing it every day and being being the same group every day and the leaders have been awesome new unit that uh, al golden has been around that fighting irish defense and a mix of some young guys and some veterans back like bo bauer and you got jd bertrand and and uh you know a lot of different guys in the mix there but uh you know he's kind of had to get to know them, and they've had to adapt to him as well. Yeah, they've been great. You know, you know, we've just been kind of just pushing forward. As I said upstairs, you know, we're, we're kind of living day to day. We're just uh, looking at every day as an assembly line, and we're just trying to get the product, you know, off the plant floor every day. Uh, we're not really looking forward to practice five or six or seven right now. We're just trying to make practice four the best we can. We'll go in here and grade it. We'll get with the players, make some notes. Uh, see what we like and uh, and then go from there. But it's uh, it's been great. You know, the, the coaches have been awesome to work with. Uh, just a, a really good group from a lot of different backgrounds. And um, it's a uh, it's a really it's a really uh, diverse group of opinions that we're getting and contribution, which is awesome. Yeah, again, you know, all that whole new coaching staff and and uh, not necessarily piecing it together, but you got Al Washington up front. You got. Golden as the defensive coordinator and the linebackers. And then in the secondary, you get Mickens and O'Leary, kind of the returning veterans of the crew. But again, he's got to get familiar with all of them, whether it's the players or the coaches, because he's one of the newest guys added to the mix. And Marcus Freeman has said, you know, it's it's Golden's defense. It's Al Golden's defense. That's what he said when he introduced him. Uh, what's that been? About a month and a half ago? So going on two months, I guess it's it's not golden running Freeman's defense. There are some similarities, but what are the differences in it from last year's defense? Well, it's our defense. I, I know everybody wants to label everything. It's our, it's our defense. It's Notre Dame's defense. At the end of the day, uh, we're going we're gonna to see where these kids want to take us. Uh, the best players are going to play. Um, the guys who play within the scheme are going to play. Uh, there's going to be a lot of guys that earn roles, uh, not just starters, but earn roles. You know, if you're defending 85 plays, in college, you need a lot of guys playing. So that's what we're trying to do, you know, uh, make sure that we, we have a group uh, that, you know, can play multiple positions. And so from that standpoint, um, this group has really, really evolved and they're going to keep evolving. 
We'll touch more on that multiple positions here in uh, in just a minute. But Golden, obviously not around last season. Watch film of last year's team, though, and his evaluation coming into this situation. So he, you know, he knows what what the scheme and, and the players look like. But here are some thoughts that he has on the differences that he's seen from this year to last year. Yeah, again, I'm not going to get too much into that. I think you know we're again. I know everybody wants to look ahead or or perhaps look behind. We're we're just trying to quality control everything that goes in, uh, make it the best we can so that the next time we install it, it's better than what we're doing right now. I think that's really important. So we're not just going to install and move on. We're going to install quality control and then go back and say, okay, what did we miss from a coaching sta- coaching standpoint? Because so-and-so keeps going to the flat and he doesn't understand he's got to stay, you know, like, so to me, that's the world that we're living in right now. And, and uh, again, it's, it's our defense, starting with the players. They, they got together. They decided what the core values were going to be. Our job is to hold them accountable. Their job is to hold each other accountable. Um, and then, like I said, the tactics are secondary um, to the work ethic, um, you know, the accountability, uh, the focus, you know, and uh, eliminating distractions for sure. And it just, it just seems like Al Golden's got such a, a great, philosophy great mentality coming into this situation and uh, you know again like you look at we've talked a lot about Tommy Reese and his ability to sort of adapt and mold his offense shape his offense to the strengths of what he has and and uh, you know it sounds like there's a lot of that in there without Golden as well and and talking about players playing at multiple positions the ability to have the, the safeties be able to play either free or strong and, you know, field or, or, or boundary. And, and, you know, the same with some of the cornerbacks. It's really going to – the cornerback stuff is – I'm really most curious to see that because we just haven't got a whole lot of an opportunity to see that. But they are cross-training players at different positions this spring. Yeah, defensive line, linebackers. Um, you know, there will there, be some guys in the secondary that do that. Again, we just want to make sure we're building depth. You never know what's going to happen both on game day or throughout the season. So we're just trying to cross train a bunch of different guys in, in multiple roles. And uh, that's going to make it stronger in the long, long term. And it also helps them develop a conceptual mindset of what's going on around them, which is important. And we saw more of that, I think, specifically with Marcus Freeman last year with his linebackers. And, and of course, Mike Elston was not necessarily cross training at different positions but you know just having the deeper rotation but now you're seeing tackles play outside and and uh, outside guys also move inside again you know to give them some more natural depth and and that kind of thing so you know I and I, so I don't know if maybe this was Al Golden's you know, like part of his philosophy coming in the door or if it's kind of a trickle down for Marcus Freeman who was playing like last year he was moving the line in his first spring having linebackers play at different spots. You know, you weren't just the Mike linebacker. They also had, you know, the Mikes playing the will and and vice versa, and the Rovers moving around playing some different spots. So it it just seems to make a lot of sense, you know, wherever you can to be able to cross-train those guys as much as possible because what happens if you get in a situation like you've got with the wide receivers right now, you know, all of a sudden – you know, you're, you're lacking in numbers and you're short on depth. Well, if you've got guys who can play multiple positions, that helps solve some of that. What about the goals that Al Golden has? Well, again, we're trying to build depth. Um, I think uh, that that's going to be a strength for us because, uh, you know, we have guys that are, that are really intelligent and can learn. And I think they're going to be able to play multiple roles for us. Um, I think, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, they're, their willingness to hold each other accountable, um, their ability to, you know, to be the same group every day. You know, that's the one thing, you know, we're talking about practice four and they've been the same group every day. Um, so again, from a scheme standpoint, we're not really looking so much at that. Um, we're trying to develop the principles that we know are going to endure over the long haul. And, you know, the scheme is secondary that, you know, the tactics are secondary to what uh, these, these young guys are doing on a daily basis. So, we got a couple more uh, days of install and then we can go back and really refine each. So they got to keep pushing uh, through Tuesday and um, not that it will get easier, but we'll be able to, we'll be able to go back one more time and, and really refine it for them. Chug it on right through the spring. Al Golden, the Irish defensive coordinator. And uh, here's what has him impressed him this spring. Yeah. Intelligence for sure. 
um, their, their work ethic, ha, you know, has been great. Uh, they've really prepared. Um, and uh, I think it's a tight group. You know, it's a tight group that has uh, good leadership and, and uh, you know, guys that are showing the young guys the way, you know, trying to bring them along very quickly. So a lot of other things that I've been impressed with, but those, you know, the, that's the majority of it right now. Yeah, I kind of hear him continue to rave about just the intelligence, especially with that linebacker crew, which, again, is his own position group. Here's uh, his thoughts on some of the standouts at the cornerback position. Yeah, again, for me, um, you know, with Cam down, I think for me, it's it's just keep rotating those guys, you know, just try to get them all better. Um, four practices, really. Um, Saturday will be our first in pads. So in terms of, you know, who's getting better and that kind of thing right now, to me, it's just about all of them getting better and, and rotating as many guys as we can. And uh, they'll sort it out. You know, it will sort itself out between one-on-ones, seven-on-seven, and uh, obviously the, the team and scrimmage reps. So, um Again, I'm, I'm excited about the group in general and, uh, you know, mixed on a great job with them, which is awesome. A lot of guys out there between Cam Hart, Clarence Lewis. You got Ryan Barnes uh, and uh, Chance Tucker, who are both uh, sophomores with freshman eligibility. Jaden Mickey, Jaden Bellamy, and, of course, the veteran Tariq Bracey and Philip Riley, another sophomore who's got freshman eligibility. And Cam Hart had labrum surgery after the season, and he was actually out there wearing pads doing drills yesterday not sure exactly I, I wouldn't think that he was doing anything live you know only being able to uh, the, the the only part of practice that was open was uh, the stretching and then the first five um, first five periods of practice yesterday so wouldn't think that he was able to do a whole lot live but who knows and now finally from Al Golden Jordan Botello kind of the guy that uh, people you know, maybe we thought we'd really see an emergence from him last year. Didn't necessarily happen. We saw him at different times. There was all the stuff. Was he going to be able to play last season? Going into the year, he was able to play. But we still didn't see a ton of him. Here's Al Golden on Jordan Patello. Yeah, I, I love the versatility um, of Jordan. I really do. And he is a tough kid. Um, again, he's a very smart kid. Very smart kid. And uh, we just got to get him to play with a little more poise and um, – you know, because, you know, he, he wants to chase, chase, chase and do all that. So just he's just got to relax a little bit. Let his let his natural talent come out. We're going to help him with that for sure. Um, but uh, I, I love his versatility and guys that are versatile can do many things for you. You know, in his case, he's got enough length to play on the edge, to play inside. He's played Rover. Um, he could play Viper for us. So, you know, that's that's tough to identify if you're on the other side. So um, really like his progress. And um, again, I'm just going to keep working with him just to try to get him to slow down a little bit and then let him speed his game up because he's playing with a little more poise. All right, that's one of my challenges here. Big ball of energy, Jordan Patello. And we did see him made his first start when he played Rover against, you know, kind of that bigger team in Wisconsin and uh, had a handful of games, Virginia, Georgia Tech, Stanford, late in the season where he had four tackles in each game. So uh, was able to uh, to play uh, a bit, what, six games um, last year for the Fighting Irish, but again, didn't necessarily forge a definite spot. So be curious to see the blue-gold game a week from Saturday where he is if he lines up in multiple positions or where exactly Jordan Patello is. Take a timeout. That's Al Golden, Fighting Irish defensive coordinator. When we come back, Steve Stanley from Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series team. Will uh, join me next. We will uh, share some of Steve's memories from that, the comeback win over Rice, and that 2002 College World Series season as well. We are brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. Tim Growl State Farm Insurance. Save money on home and auto insurance with Tim, serving both Indiana and Michigan. Call 574-232-9981. Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. And the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger's a story we can end. Find out how at FeedIndiana.com. Steve Stanley coming up next on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. 3-2, Rice on top of Notre Dame with two outs and nobody on in the bottom of the ninth. Another payoff to Stanley. 
This one getting back to right center field. Turn on the Jets, Steve Stanley. Back to the wall it goes. Stanley rounding second, heading for third. Steve Stanley will slide in safely with a one-out triple. And Notre Dame has the tying run at third base as Steve Stanley gives Paul Maneri a high five as he gets in there. Well, that is arguably the most famous triple in the history of Notre Dame baseball. Maybe the second most famous hit, I don't know, in the, in the history of Notre Dame baseball. And the guy who hit it, Steve Stanley, All-American in 2002, a captain on Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series team, celebrating its 20th anniversary this year, is with us right now. How we doing, Mr. Stanley? Sean, it's great talking to you, man. Uh, just hearing that and uh, just those memories coming back, they flood back. It's exciting to uh, to think about that time. Well, and you were, you were, we were just talking off the air, and you've lived in Arizona for a long time, and I always remember, like, you know, seeing your parents at, at, at the games, whether it was, you know, at Frank X Stadium. I remember uh, still, you know, pretty vividly at the Super Regional down there at uh, Dick Hauser Stadium at Florida State. I remember your dad pacing all over the grandstand waiting for JP <laughs> to get the final outs, you know, but uh, yeah. you're a Columbus, Ohio native, and you, you uh, just moved back home to uh, to be a little bit closer to your parents, huh? Yeah, you know, it, it, family is is of the greatest importance, importance to me, and I really wanted to be close to my mom and dad. They've given me everything and very thankful. So I wanted my kids, obviously my three girls, I wanted them to be able to spend more time. They, my parents had, um, had purchased a place out in Scottsdale. So they were close to us, you know, for the last 20 years or so that we lived out there, they'd come out every once in a while, but just being able to have them around and, and be here is, is, is great. So uh, it was a, it was definitely an adjustment for my daughters <laughs> coming out of the heat. I bet. Different weather, but, but it was still a really good thing. I yeah. bet. I bet. Well, when you think about that triple, that College World Series triple, that, of course, was part of the comeback win against Rice. You tripled with one out. You're down by a run. Steve Solman's the next batter. He singles you home. And then, of course, Brian Stavisky with the walk-off home run. But uh, are, are there any moments from your career? Like, is that the top moment of your career at Notre Dame? Um, I would say that's definitely the top moment. And I, what I would also say is there were quite a few that come pretty close. You know, yeah. the, uh, the series when I was um, a sophomore at Mississippi State, um, you know, the, the Super Regional at uh, Florida State, Right, uh, winning the Big East, Big East championship, uh, and you know Steve Solman uh, scoring that run, and then Stavisky getting a huge hit there. I mean, there were there was a lot of big moments for us, um, and, and but that was definitely on the top. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that the the Big East championship, when you end up going to Omaha at the end of the season, I mean that it gets lost in the shuffle a little bit because of some of the moments that you mentioned. But you know, I had. Your coach, Paul Maneri, of course, on a couple of weeks ago, and we've talked about it before, that was something new for that team as well, just winning a Big East championship, especially against Rutgers. You know, that was a team that, that you guys just couldn't quite push through. And, and so just how big was that moment at the time? Was that probably the biggest thing that had ever happened, just, just winning that Big East championship? It was. And, you know, a lot of the things that people don't remember, number one is, that's that automatic seed to get into the 60-14 tournament, just right. like the NCAA tournament in basketball. If we don't win that tournament, I don't know if we get into the regional. And the reason for that was that we had such a poor start to the season. Obviously, we, we strung a huge amount of wins together late. But if we don't win that tournament, there's nothing to say because we were a northern team. And, uh, you know, it wasn't like we played in the SEC conference where – uh, you know, they would lot, let a lot of teams in. I mean, who knows if we get in or not? And then I don't seem to remember if other teams from the Big East got in that year, maybe one or two other teams. But it was huge that we won because if we don't win that, who knows if we actually get into the regional to have a chance to go to the World Series. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, you ended up hosting that regional as a two-seed. And I don't know that that happens very much anymore. The, the, you know, the tournament has evolved a lot over the years. But even that was – 
a little bit unique because it comes down to facilities and who puts in the bid and the guarantees and all those different things. But you got right. to you got to host that regional as the number two seed. South Alabama was the number one seed, so they came up here. And of course, your second round twenty five to one lopsided win over South Alabama was probably the <laughs> highlight of that weekend. But you guys went three and zero that weekend as well, and you had two other games against Ohio State. Ohio State, you scored eight runs and nine runs against Ohio State in those two other games. That had to be one of the better three game stretches, just offensively, that that you guys have had. I would imagine. Well, it was huge, and I, a lot of people probably don't remember this, but Luis Gonzalez and Craig Council had a bet because <laughs> Luis right. Gonzalez went to South Alabama, and so he had to wear Council's Notre Dame jersey you know, uh, the next day, it was a huge win for us against South Alabama. But then also, you know, me being a Columbus kid and, 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 and really, you know, um, Notre Dame in, in, in particular coach Mary went out of their way to make me feel special, um, when I was recruited and Ohio state in my backyard, you know, I was an underdog type of guy, not a big guy. And right. so I don't blame them for not recruiting me hard. But it was an even bigger win for me because my hometown team came up to play us, and then to win two games like that, um, it was definitely, definitely huge for me. Well, and I'm trying to remember. I think at that point, the was the draft the next week. Do you remember? Yeah, it, it was. I do remember because I'll tell you what, Sean. What happened was we were practicing, getting ready to go down to Tallahassee. Okay. And Coach Maneri specifically for the juniors and seniors on the team, it was tough to keep their emotions in check because we all knew the draft was that day. And so all of us were practicing and he, he, he purposefully had practice during the draft. So you couldn't listen to it. <laughs> now it's a big, you know, now it's a big deal. And you know, it's, it's all over the airwaves and uh -huh. stuff. But back then it was something where the coaches would listen and maybe guys would listen on the internet, but he specifically had practice that day so that we could not listen to it. And uh, during practice, I remember him calling me in from center field. I believe it was a Thursday, maybe, maybe a Wednesday. And he called me in and he said, man, the, the A's just drafted you in the second round. And, man, that was a special day. I know? bet it was. I bet it was. And, of course, your teammate Brian Stavisky also drafted by the A's. And as fate would have it, a guy from those Buckeyes, Nick Swisher was also <laughs> drafted by yeah. the A's, so that that turned out to be you know kind of a unique weekend with all of you guys playing against each other there at X Stadium. It, right it was, the draft. it was special. It, yeah, it was really special, and and you know I got to know Nick even a lot better, obviously once we were in the A's organization, and Brian and I our our uh, relationship developed as well. You know, continuing to get a chance to play with him, but um, you know it was really and, and Swish obviously being a guy from the Columbus area. And he went to middle school here, and then he was from Parkersburg. His father was from Parkersburg, West Virginia. Right. So, um, you know, just a lot of ties there, and and it was it was a special time. And I remember talking at the uh, the banquet on Friday, uh, maybe it was Thursday, the day before the the regional, and I was talking to Joey Wilkins, who's one of the guys that played on the Ohio State team that I'd played uh, with when I was in youth baseball. And I said, "Man, oh, does wow. anybody on your team think they're?" Yeah, does anybody <laughs> on your team think they're going to get drafted? He said, yeah, I think Swisher's going to go in the first round. I said, are you kidding me? Wow, <laughs> really? I mean, we, it was just no, you know, at the time, you just don't know who's going to go where. So, yeah. and it's sure, you know, that, that ended up happening. So. And you talk about, again, just how different things are now, just the way, you know, prospects are talked about and everything else right now compared to to the ancient days of, of 20 years ago in 2002. <laughs> yeah. It does. It feels like that. Coach Mary and I talk all the time, Sean, and we talk about the fact that, you know, it was big back then because I remember even as a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s to watch the World Series was a big deal, even for me when I was 9, 10 years old. Right. And now it's just become a whole nother animal. It's, it's huge. You know, you've got – college baseball games are on every day. I mean, I'm, you know, ESPN plus and all these different, uh, you know, avenues to watch games. Yeah. And, and, you know, you never used to be able to, you know, if you, if you watched and saw a super regional game, it was a big deal. Now it's, it's everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Steve Stanley's with us all American in 2002 drafted by the Oakland A's from Notre Dame's 2002 college world series team, which is celebrating its 20th anniversary of course, this year so as we kind of 
keep looking back on that season. You win the regional at home. You go to uh, the super regional, and for your reward, you get the number one team in the country, of course, Florida State, 25-game winning streak and and all that. And again, talking to Paul a couple of weeks ago, you know, so much of, of his coaching was not just fundamental coaching, but it was about motivation and emotion and, you know, all these different things. Do you remember his message to you guys going into that weekend? Yes, and it, it hadn't changed from the day that I walked on campus. This guy was the same. Coach Maneri, he was he believed in his players. He believed in the program. He believed in the things that he taught, and, and they all came to fruition. And he would always say, you know, that weekend, you're playing not only for yourselves, but you're playing for all the guys that have come ahead of you that have gotten us to this point. You know, you think about guys like Aaron Heilman, and Brand Us and Alex Porzell and all these guys that came ahead uh, that I played with. And then even before that, um, you know, there was so much great tradition at Notre Dame and they had been so close. So he preached that to us, but his, you know, none of his philosophy was the same from day one. And really when we walked in there, we never felt like underdogs. You know, we always felt like, man, we can play with these guys. And uh, that was instilled by coach Maneri from day one. And, and uh, don't let anybody tell you that we didn't believe or, you know, think that we belonged down there because we really did, and that was from him. Oh, I know. And, I mean, everyone, you could tell by, by the way you guys carried yourselves all weekend. And like he said, if there hadn't been a, a rain out in, in day two, you know, what was supposed to be the second game, he thought maybe you finish it off in, in two games instead of going to the third game. I mean, it all ended up working out pretty well. That was such a uh, such a unique environment and you talked about Mississippi State going to Mississippi State. I guess that would have been your sophomore year uh, for the right, regional right. that year and there was a lot of talk about that when Notre Dame went to the Super Regional this past season, you know, trip to Starkville and and all that different kind of stuff. Just being in that atmosphere from your sophomore year, not just going through that experience but also including going through that experience, but just the whole thing. How much did that, do you think, help prepare you and, and, the, and the veteran guys that you had, especially on that team, for, for both winning the regional and, and the super regional and just kind of being on the big stage? All of those moments were building blocks. I think back to that, and I think that the, the lessons that I teach my children today, you know, you take one step forward, and sometimes you feel like you take a step back, but you're just building. And then every single one, we're building blocks. When we when we were fresh, you know, our freshman year, uh, we came in and they had expanded the tournament, Sean, from 48 teams to 64 teams to make it very similar to the NCAA regional, like you have the basketball uh-huh. tournament. And so we made that uh, 64 team tournament and it just got trounced by uh, <laughs> Cal State Fullerton. It was a, you know, it was a great experience, but they beat us on our home turf. And then we come back the next year, go down to Mississippi State, playing an unbelievable regional lose in the last inning on a walk-off home run and they got to beat us twice in the last day you know then to go and host again our junior year to play Florida International and and play well in that tournament but to always fall a little bit short man we were ready you know and so it was like all of the stars aligned in that moment you know to win the regional and then to go down to Florida State and I don't think there was one Florida State fan that think think thought we stood a chance you know um, I love the story that, like, in the fifth inning of the third game, got, you know, fans were calling Omaha still to reserve uh, flights and, you know, reserve uh, hotels because they still thought we were, you know, we were not going to win that game. Yeah, I, I, can, uh, I can vouch for all of that. <laughs> Just kind of witnessing, <laughs> sort of, you know, sitting right behind the crowd. But, you know, there, you could, you, you could, you could tell, you could tell. There was, there was, um, yeah, they had their own belief, and I mean, you know, they're they're Florida State. <laughs> I guess that's what they're supposed to think with this little team from the north comes down, and you know, all that <laughs> kind of good stuff. But yeah. you know, let's let's kind of circle back to to Omaha. Now you're in that elimination game against Rice. You're in the ninth inning, bottom of the ninth inning, one out. You're down by a run. You're coming up to the plate. If you lose, you go. Uh, two and Q, as they say in Omaha, zero oh and two, and and you're done. But you, so you come to the plate. And there's a left-hander on the mound. You're stepping into the batter's box. So take us through that at bat, Steve. Well, so I come up and there's uh, there's one out, and I'm I'm thinking to myself, 
no matter what, I got to get on base. You know, my, my role for the four years on that team was to get on base because we always had guys that could plug and guys that could hit the ball a long way. Mm-hmm. And my feeling was if we're down a run, I got to do something to get on here so that we can make something happen. Uh, and, you know, having Solman and Stavisky behind me, there was so much confidence that if I could just get on base, we'll, we will produce a run somehow. These guys are going to put the bat on the ball and make things happen. So really – if you go through the at-bat, he goes 1-0, 2-0, 3-0. And I'm thinking to myself, just like everybody else, okay, I'm walking here. Right. This is great. <laughs> you know, we're going to get a guy on base. And I'm thinking like everybody else, hey, take a strike, right? So I take a strike. And then, you know, I look down at Coach Neri and him and I are th- thinking the same thing. Take another strike. Because to me, I'm not a guy that can hit the ball out of the park. Right. So what's it going to do to take another strike? And that's exactly right, because my, my feeling that year was you're not going to strike me out. I know that. So what what is it taking strike two? And if the umpire thinks it's close and gives me ball four, I'm on base, right? So then he goes, throws strike two. I go, okay, now i got a battle. Now we're in a battle here, because he's a fantastic pitcher. His name is Justin Crowder. He actually got drafted by the A's as well that year. Yeah, oh, that's and, right. Um, and he was a fantastic pitcher. And I think he was under two in his ERA. He was almost unhittable. Um, and so so then he goes 3-2. He goes, I believe he goes fastball away, and I foul it off. Then he goes, I think he goes another fastball, and I foul it off again. So I'm seven pitches into the at-bat, six, seven pitches into the at-bat. And I'm thinking, there's no way he's going to throw me a breaking ball here because – you know, little Steve Stanley, five seven guy, can't hit it out of the park. I'm not going to take a chance to throw a breaking ball off the plate, ball four, and I let him on base. Sure enough, the guy has enough confidence in his breaking ball, 3-2, to throw it. So lefty, lefty, throws me a slider on the outside corner, which is probably strike three. I'm out in front of the pitch. My, my, you know, my front foot, if you know baseball, I'm out in front, I lose my weight, and then, boom, I flick it with my wrist right. into right center field. And the guy in center is playing in the left center field gap because I, generally speaking, hit the ball the other way. Yeah, you flip it in that direction. That's right. Yeah, huge gap in right field. And boom, you know, he's way far away from the baseball. I turn around first base. There's no way I'm stopping at second (laughs) because now if I can get on third with one out, all someone's got to do is hit the ball in the outfield. We tied the game. So it was just – I mean, it was an electric moment. I don't think I've ever been on a baseball field where I felt like the sound was like being at a Notre Dame football game. And that was the same. I mean, it was just, you know, the roar of the crowd was explosive and a lot of just amazing to be, be in that environment. It was. And I, and I went back, and now this is unscientific, but I went back in that audio, and from the ping of the bat till I have you sliding in, you're, you're around 11 and a half, 12 seconds from home to third base. So that's, that's, that's moving pretty good. I think, right. I mean, that's... I, I was, I don't think I've ever moved any faster than that in my life. You know, I, I thought I might've been floating on air. You know, you, you just, it's one of those things where you feel like you're fast and then you have a moment like that and you can't believe that you're actually in that moment. Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to walk. I'm just trying to get on base. And if you can imagine being in that situation where you're just thinking, get on base, get on base, and all of a sudden now it's now you hit a ball in the gap, you are floating on air. It was pretty special. And I do yeah. remember, you know, just what you were talking about, how you, you were a little off balance, it seemed like, on that swing, like you were yeah. describing there. But yeah. but still you managed to get it from the outside corner into right center field and obviously hit it pretty hard and uh, got it, you know, it gets all the way back to the wall. You get to third base. Steve Solman, of course, singles you home two pitches later to tie it up, and then Brian Stavisky with with the walk off home run. And I mean that, yep. like you talk about, you're not big enough to to hit it out. Stavo was obviously <laughs> big enough to hit it out, and I mean that was. And, and we've talked about this before. The wind was not conducive to a ball being hit out to right field that day, but Brian Stavisky still crushed that baseball and got it out through he- the teeth of that wind. <laughs> John, he's one of the strongest, naturally strong players I've ever played with in my life. Yeah. He was just given by God an unbelievable build to play the game of baseball and to play other sports. 
so when you saw him, he just, you know, he, he looked like a brick house, and, and he was <laughs> like that. He just, you know, the thing about Brian was that we, I used to say this, this is funny about Brian. I think he went through something like seven to ten bats in, within the season because the umpires would check the, the roundness of the bats, and I don't know if that's really? still the case to this day. But back then, because he hit the baseball so hard, every three or four games they were th- they were throwing his bats out. Wow! And because <laughs> it was like hitting with a with a cricket stick, you know. And so he he just he hit the ball harder than anybody. I remember when he hit his first home run against Memphis his freshman year. And we were down there, and I thought this guy this is unbelievable. I mean, just threw the wind to right center, and Paul just came off his bat unlike anybody else I'd ever seen amazing amazing Steve Stanley with us from Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series team the uh the anniversary is uh well the 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 reunion is taking place uh I guess it's not next week it's about two and a half weeks from now so a couple of weeks away and uh you and and a lot of your teammates coming in to celebrate that now at the Boston College game it's the Saturday uh, Boston College game that weekend. I believe it's the 30th of this month. You you guys will all be honored out there uh, prior to the game. So uh, if fans want to come out and not only see this year's Notre Dame baseball team, which is uh, doing really well, you can also see the 2002 College World Series team from Notre Dame being honored at that game when they take on Boston College Saturday, April 30th. Steve, always great catching up uh, with you. Look forward to seeing you here in a couple of weeks and uh welcome back to the midwest i guess out of out of sunny arizona and back in columbus i'm sure the weather there is about what it is like here today it's not very nice here today anyway so well i can tell you the pleasure is always mine talking to you sean and i love talking to the familiar voice that always reminds me of being in south bend talking to you so all right i appreciate it steve always great talking to you as all all the best to you and and uh, your family and again look forward to hopefully seeing and and, uh, talking to you again soon We'll see you soon. Okay, take care. Steve Stanley from the Notre Dame 2002 College World Series team. We'll take a timeout. More Budweiser's Weekday Sports Week coming up next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. You're listening to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat with Sean Styers on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. All right, so resetting things a little bit here tonight. South Bend Cubs and Fort Wayne Tin Caps are supposed to begin their pregame in about eight minutes. That is not going to happen, according to Brendan King. First pitch was scheduled for 635 in Fort Wayne. Uh, It has been raining pretty hard for at least the last half an hour or so, and the radar continues to show rain over there. So uh, they'll begin that game in a uh, weather delay tonight and we hope to find out soon exactly what the plan of attack is over there if they're going to try to play it tonight I know the managers and the uh, Fort Wayne Tin Camps president were meeting a little bit ago but in the meantime NBA play-in tournament began last night with the seven and eight seeds playing in the east Brooklyn beat Cleveland Minnesota beat the Clippers here's a quick refresher of the format for the NBA's play-in tournament seven and eight seeds play Nine and ten seeds play tonight. So the winner of the nine and ten game seed game, the winner plays the loser of last night's seven eight seed game. So Cleveland and the LA Clippers both lost last night. The nine ten games are tonight. Charlotte and Atlanta in the East, San Antonio and New Orleans in the West. So the winner of tonight's Charlotte Atlanta game plays Cleveland Friday night. The winner of that game becomes the eight seed. The winner of tonight's San Antonio-New Orleans game plays the Clippers Friday night. And again, both Brooklyn and Minnesota are into the playoffs officially, the official playoffs as the seven seeds in their conference. So, conferences. So, here's where the fun goes with FanDuel Sportsbook because in the NBA play-in tournament, there are no sure things except one. If you bet at least 20 bucks in same-game parlays on FanDuel Sportsbook, you'll get an instant bonus, win or lose. That's right. Not only do you get to enjoy the NBA's best duking it out for the right to advance in the playoffs, but FanDuel is giving all customers a bonus for getting in on the action. The more you bet, the bigger your bonus. 
So all you have to do is put together a same-game parlay. Now, my parlay last night, I have to say, was spot on. My Here's my parlay last night. It was Brooklyn with the money line, under on the points total for the game, and under on Kevin Durant's points. If you had bet that same-game parlay, you would have won some cash last night. So here's what I like for tonight's uh, yeah, yeah, for tonight's game. Atlanta, the money line versus Charlotte. I like the game to go under on that points total, and I like Trey Young to go under on his assist total for tonight. So that's that's my same game parlay for tonight's NBA play-in tournament games. FanDuel is an official partner of the NBA. Their app is safe, easy to use. You'll get your winnings fast. And if you're new to FanDuel Sportsbook, sign up today with my promo code WSBT. Make every moment more. So don't just watch the NBA play-in tournament. Be part of it. Bet at least 20 bucks in same-game parlays and get an instant bonus, win or lose. You must be 21-plus and present in Indiana. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable. Free bets that expire in seven days. Max bonus $100. Restrictions do apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Playing tournament for the NBA, kind of the NBA's answer to the wild card game with a little, you know, the little different twists on it. Because even if you're in that seven, eight game and you lose, you still have a chance if you can come back and beat the winner of the 9-10 game. Makes things a little bit more interesting for those last two spots. If you're the seven, eight, nine, ten seeds, you've still got a chance to get in. The Bulls, they're the six seed, so they didn't have to worry about that. Every, you know, at six seeds and above. They don't play until I think it's Saturday. Yeah, Saturday is when things start because the play-in tournament ends uh, Friday night. And uh, so the Bulls going to play the defending NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks to uh, open their series Saturday. And that game will take place in Milwaukee, game one of that first round series. So again, head to FanDuel Sportsbook, have some fun wagering during uh, both the play-in tournament this week, the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball, golf, whatever it happens to be, FanDuel Sportsbook has you covered. We'll take a timeout when we come back, since it's looking like rain delay for the South Bend Cubs. Maya Dodson was drafted by the WNBA's Phoenix Mercury uh, the other night. And so we'll take a timeout, talk to Maya earlier this season, and uh, I'll replay an interview that I had with her and uh, kind of you know get her thoughts. You'll you'll hear some of her thoughts on how she really developed and became a WNBA draft pick in her one and only season at Notre Dame. Some uh, some good comments from her on that, just on how her game really blossomed after coming over from Stanford in just one year with Neil Ivy and the Fighting Irish. So we'll take a timeout. We'll have that next. On Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat continues on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. So I just got word from Brendan King that uh, the game in South Bend officially has been postponed as of about a minute and a half ago. They are going to play a doubleheader tomorrow night. That will begin at 6.05. Brendan, can you hear me right now? What's up, Sean? Hey, there you are. <laughs> How you doing, buddy? Uh, good. A uh, little bit of an elongated wait. Wanted to get this one yeah. in because it was supposed to be Jordan Wicks' 2022 debut. Of course, the 2021 first-round pick of the Chicago Cubs. But it has been raining, as you have said, Sean, uh, quite hard over the last hour or so. So game is postponed. We will play a doubleheader tomorrow starting at 6.05 p.m. with two seven-inning games. All right, sounds good. So, uh, well, it doesn't sound good, but it's <laughs> kind of the the inevitable, I guess, just the way the weather looked all day today and the way it's been looking out there tonight. Did you have to go over today, or are you guys staying in town all week? Uh, we are in town all week, and actually it's quite nice. The Tin Caps have set us up now in a hotel, literally a two-minute walk from the ballpark. So oh, nice. there's no need to get on the bus. So once I hang up with you, it is time to go home, and <laughs> we'll, we'll have a relaxing night tonight, and uh, we'll be ready to play two tomorrow. Sometimes that's fun. You know, you go on the road, and you get the rain delay, and you just kind of <laughs> hang out in the hotel, and, you know, I, I don't know about room service or anything, you know, but you watch some other games, you know, that you can find, and and stuff like that. How are you doing? Good to, good to have you back in town doing South Bend Cubs games again. 
Yeah, man, it's great to be back, Sean. Great to be working with you and Matt Embry, Max Toma, Chris Chris Hagstrom, and all the folks again. And, you know, had a really productive and solid offseason in Indy with the fan down there and Network Indiana. Sean, you came on my show uh, multiple times That's last right. summer. So that was That's fun. That's right. Um, but, no, it was a good offseason. Uh, was at the national championship for football at Lucas Oil Stadium. You know, covered some NCAA tournament games this March. But uh, there's nothing better, Sean, than traveling and being around the South Bend Cubs and being able to call ball every day, as you know very well. So it's great to be back. Yep, absolutely. Well, uh, looking forward to uh, to some more South Bend Cubs baseball and uh, hearing that tomorrow night. So, again, a doubleheader tomorrow night that's going to start at 6.05, which means a pregame of, what, around uh, 5.45 tomorrow night. So we'll have an abbreviated uh, sports beat tomorrow night. And uh, it's, uh, you know, the uh, – I think everyone maybe kind of got their hopes up with the Chicago Cubs over the weekend after seeing them take two out of three for Milwaukee. I think that, you know, there's a there's a nice little balance of some young guys and a few veterans. Suzuki's got everybody excited. But, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, it's kind of looking like this is going to be maybe uh, a, a learning, growing experience for the parent club this year. Yeah, and Sean, I think there are some pieces as you just as you just said that can contribute. You know, say a Suzuki is as hot as anybody, and that's remarkable considering he just got in the big leagues. And I was listening to Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer as the Cubs played a day game today, and one thing Ron Coomer was discussing is that when you come into the league, there is a certain period of growth that you need to get to know all the ballparks you play in, right? And and all the corners and bounces and everything, but Seiya Suzuki is not only hitting the cover off the ball, he is fielding his position well. So I think that's an interesting little nugget. And then even more exciting, too, Sean, you look at some of the former South Bend Cubs that are now in that Chicago Cubs roster. Justin Steele was the game two t- starter for for uh, Chicago, pitching against the Brewers, five innings of scoreless ball. And a name you may recognize, Sean, Ethan Roberts, who was on the 2019 Midwest League Championship team, he made his big league debut last week. He already has two games and a couple strikeouts, so that's good to see for Ethan. But, yeah. Sean, as you mentioned, I you know I, I don't know at the end of the day what you're going to get out of the Chicago Cubs team, but I can tell you that especially the former South Bend Cubs playing for David Ross, these guys love him, and there's a lot of positivity in that clubhouse. So, look, man, when you're having fun, anything can happen, and we'll see what happens in that division this year. That's for sure. All right, Brendan King with the South Bend Cubs over in Fort Wayne. Again, they are postponed for tonight, and we'll have a doubleheader with two seven-inning games. The action will start at 6.05 tomorrow night right here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Good talking to you, Brendan. Enjoy the night off, and uh, we'll look forward to hearing those golden tones from you tomorrow over there in Fort Wayne. (laughs) Thanks, Sean. <laughs> All right, take care. Brendan King in Fort Wayne. And again, Maya Dodson from uh, Notre Dame's women's basketball team drafted earlier this week by the Phoenix Mercury and uh, got to call the action, of course, for the last two years for Notre Dame women's basketball. This was Maya's first season with Notre Dame. And uh, talked to her late in the season. And in this interview, you'll hear her kind of talk about how her game was really able to blossom in her first season playing for Neil Ivey and the Fighting Irish. Averaging 12.4 points a game right now, leading the team eight rebounds per game and currently ninth in the nation and uh, leading the ACC now, 2.7 block shots per game. You know, as I kind of rattle off all those numbers, how would you describe the season that you're having so far? Um, You know... <laughs> It's crazy to me. This beginning of the season, um, I was just getting used to being out there, but um, starting to get comfortable, and I've just been enjoying playing with my teammates, and we've just continued to improve. So I think that's just showed from my numbers and also how we've been doing um, in the season so far. If I had told you back in October, because, of course, your last year at Stanford last year, you didn't play last year, and you were limited a couple years before that with, with you know some foot injuries and stuff like that. If I had told you in October – now you know, and you that after all that, that you were going to be having this kind of season. What would you have said? Um, I I'd be skeptical, but I <laughs> I, I knew I knew for one thing, uh, coming here to Notre Dame was going to be a great opportunity for me, and I was hoping that it would pan out how it has um, right now. But it's been even more um, 
even a bigger opportunity than I than I imagined. So um, yeah, in October, I'm not really sure I'd expect this, but I'm I'm happy it's happening now. Yeah, and it was just a little bit more than a year ago at this time, I believe, that you actually signed with Notre Dame after you had entered, you know, the 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 transfer portal with you know the grad transfer market. What ultimately led you to Notre Dame? Um, I think the biggest thing. Uh, Stanford and Notre Dame were actually my top two choices. So uh, I always loved Coach Ivy, CO. Uh, I love Notre Dame. I just felt like in the beginning, Stanford was my better choice. But um, when I was able to be a grad transfer, I knew exactly where I wanted to go. And I wanted to play for Coach Ivy and, and just play for just a great program that has great fans. And also academics has always been something that's important to me. And Notre sure. Dame is just a great institution on that front as well. So it was a no-brainer to come here. Well, and you actually played against Notre Dame in the NCAA tournament in Chicago, what, back in 2019. Do you, do you remember anything about that game? Yes, I, I do remember. I did not <laughs> play that well. And I remember Jason and Bree were giving it to me, and I remember saying, uh-oh. Uh, but the biggest thing I do remember is um, – after the after the game, Coach McGraw and all the all the players gave me a hug, and I remember that, and just showed that even though I didn't go to Notre Dame um, out of high school, that there was no love lost. So it made sense to come here after that. Maya Dodson with us from the Notre Dame women's basketball team to get a grad transfer from Stanford, and unfortunately, you did battle some injuries and things like that in in your time at Stanford. How would you ultimately describe those years that you had there at Stanford? Um, you know, it was definitely tough. Um, freshman year, I was able to play, um, but I was a freshman, so I was just learning. And I felt like, you know, sophomore year, junior year, I'd be able to uh, do my thing. But uh, just being injured in and out, that kind of um, hurts the flow of just getting confident and comfortable. But right. um, I was able to figure out a way to get through and, and be there for crucial games still. And um, even though it was it was definitely tough, I can tell that it helped me um, had the success I had this season just from uh, the challenges of those two years. Well, you opted out last year at Stanford. What what were the biggest factors in that decision? Um, I felt like I got everything I wanted out of Stanford. I think the one big thing is I wanted to um, grow even more as a as a basketball player. I got the degree I wanted. I got the engineering degree. Um, that was the most important thing for me, I also was able to pledge a sorority, and that was also important. Um, but looking at what I was missing was just being able to reach my potential as a basketball player, and I felt like going to Notre Dame would give me that option to play free and just be able to continue to um, improve my game, and that's, that's what ha has happened this season. Was it tough, though, watching them win a national championship last year? Uh, it was definitely tough. You know, it's a mix of – Emotions, you know, uh, I was happy for my teammates because I love them and I know how hard it was, sure. uh, especially for them that season during the pandemic. Um, but it was also sad, you know, because you, you want to win a, a national championship and I hope we get that this year. But, um, you know, I just had to put things in perspective and it wasn't the right time for me to come back to play. And um, right now I'm, I'm happy with the decision. You know, you mentioned a second ago you being able to play free. And I, that like that's probably – just being able to watch you, that seems like, especially in these, these last 11, 12 games or so, I mean, you've played well all season long, but it's, it's, was there kind of a point where kind of a light switch, you know, flipped and, and, you know, you really felt like you were taking your game to another level because that's just what it seems like watching you out there every night. Yeah, I definitely think um, beginning of the season, I, I, knew that Coach Ivy and the coaches and all my teammates um, had full confidence in me, but I was still used to being, you know, restricted and just mentally. And I talked to the CEO, Coach Ivy, like, you know, you can do whatever you want. We just have the most confidence in you. And just being able to play more games and saying, hey, like, I can do this. I can be um, more free and figure things out. And I'm not really sure when uh, that clicked. If I was going to guess, maybe when we played DePaul, I had a really great game then. Mm -hmm. I, I think that was one of those games where um, I was just able to just be in the zone and just do whatever I needed to do for us to win. Um, but definitely, I don't even 
I don't know. It's it's just spring now. Um, just being able to go out there and just know that I know what I need to do, and um, my coaches and my teammates trust me. So was there when you were at Stanford, just just kind of listening to you describe it? Did they kind of have a box, and it's like this is what the post is supposed to be? Don't do any more, any less. Is that is that kind of what you're kind of describing there? Um, I definitely I think so. I think um, we've had. Stanford has great players. Sure. Um, and the biggest thing was, though, uh, you have to play in the system. And that's why they're a great team and they won a championship. But uh, what I learned is what I wanted my game to be was more than what would maybe just fit the mold of uh, what uh, gets championships, which is right. great. But um, I've always wanted to reach my full potential. I have aspirations to play in the WNBA. And um, I felt like, freshman, sophomore year, I was able to improve, but then you kind of get to that limit. And I felt like I wasn't getting past that limit of um, growth and I wanted to be able to be the best I can be. So that's something that I, I wanted to do here in Notre Dame. When your position coach, Carol Owens, I mean, she's been one of the best post coaches in the country for what, a couple of decades now. I mean, that goes all the way back to Ruth Riley in the 2001 championship team. How is, how is Carol how has she how has she played a part in the development that you've made this year? Oh, uh, definitely a huge role. Um there there were some games where uh we had to have some talks and I was just <laughs> not happy with my performance or there was something I needed to improve and for better or for worse she's always going to be there to tell me what I need to do better or what I'm doing well and um without her I I definitely wouldn't have the season I have now just for someone to just give me advice, but also just be someone I can talk to, um, it really helped my game. Is there a particular part of your game right now that you're most proud of? Um, I think my offensive play. Uh, Stanford, I was definitely more – my role was defense, which I still do great defensively, but I never really got pushed to be more than just a role player offensively mm -hmm. and learn how to score. And I think that was one of the biggest challenges, especially when we went against um, tough opponents, was not going back to just being that defensive player that I'm used to, but also remembering that to be aggressive on offense and look for my shot. And I think that's what I've learned, and I'm, I'm continuing to improve on this season. But um, I think that's the one thing I'm really proud of. Well, and you've had a – you know, you talk about your defense. You can tell that's there. You've had a great stretch – here against some of these opponents, Kunane from North Carolina State, Kitley from Virginia Tech, and Hermosa and Kubai from Georgia Tech. You held all of those really good post players, you know, below their averages for the season. What's that mean to you to be able to do that, especially in succession, the way these games have kind of shaken out these last couple of weeks? Yeah, I think um, I just know that I'm able to do what I need to do and just work hard on, on defense. And um, I know every game, every game I have to go out there and not only play well on offense, but play well on defense. And in order for us to win, you have to go against the best post players or the best players in the country. And, and in those games, my job was to try to make it hard for them. And that's all I wanted to do. So uh, each game is different. Sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some, but I just want to make sure that every time I'm working hard on defense and making it hard for the opponent. Absolutely. Maya Dodson from the Notre Dame women's basketball team. And you mentioned your engineering degree, and I saw in one of your bios you're interested in robotics. Is that kind of what you want to do after basketball is done? You know, I have no clue what I really want to do. You know, like I did. <laughs> you have an engineering uh, degree and you have no clue what you want to do, huh? <laughs> the funny thing is, you know, having an engineering degree everyone tells you you can do anything you want right but then that doesn't give you really you know uh, <laughs> a way forward but i i definitely am interested in engineering robotics i'm also right now in grad school and uh management so in the business school um so i'm, I'm enjoying like fa finance venture capital just getting into now so there's a lot of different avenues which is great that i'm i'm finding some passion for but i at this point, I have no clue if someone had uh, wanted a, a firm answer there, but it's exciting also. A lot. That's Maya Dodson, formerly now of Notre Dame women's basketball. And again, I talked to her late in uh, during the season, 
as uh, the stretch was coming down. She ended up being first team all ACC and was drafted earlier this week by the Phoenix Mercury of the WNBA. 20th Notre Dame women's basketball player selected in the WNBA draft. Again, if you're tuning in for South Bend Cubs baseball, you're not going to find it tonight. They were supposed to be playing the Fort Wayne 10 caps with first pitch originally scheduled for four minutes from now, but tonight's game has been rained out. They're going to make it up tomorrow as part of a doubleheader. They're going to play a pair of seven inning games in Fort Wayne tomorrow. First pitch for the first game at 6.05, so that'll give you a pregame of 5.45 tomorrow night here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 